0: 60 are watching on the screens every day with jesus is sweeter than the day before
1: Amen. Well, it's great to have you all back tonight. Thank you all for being here. It's great to have a couple guests with us uh, today. We have uh, Philip up here in the front. So, welcome to Philip. And then we also have Bob and Christy. And uh, good to have you all here. I won't make you say anything, but uh, we are uh, thrilled and honored that you all would be here uh, this evening. Well, let's have a word of prayer and we'll uh, continue our service with another song. Lord, we're grateful for uh, your love for us. And, uh, Lord, you are sweeter than. You were the day before, and uh, Lord help us to keep growing in our relationship with You. Uh, for those of us who are believers, and if, for, if there's one here tonight that's not sure about their uh, relationship with You, I pray, Lord, they would come to Jesus and be saved. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, You would have Your will and way in each of our hearts and lives uh, during this service. I pray that You'd speak to our hearts and uh, be with our preacher tonight. Uh, give him Your word. Give him the words to say and And uh, Lord, help us, Lord, to take heed to the word of God tonight. And uh, thank you for all that you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing as we continue with I Know Whom I Have Believed, 531 in the hymnal, or the words will be on the screen as well. Amen. Once again, our memory verse is uh, for the month of August. Does anybody have it memorized and would like to quote it tonight? You're all waiting for next Sunday. I see how it is. Okay. Or you all did it last Sunday when we weren't here. I think that's probably what happened. But uh, let's all say this together here. Ready? Begin. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Isaiah 26, 3 through 4. All right, and uh, we talked a little bit about that verse in the morning service today. And if you weren't here, I would encourage you to listen to that message uh, regarding uh, the different three different types of peace that the Holy Spirit can produce in our lives. Eternal peace, internal peace, and external peace. And uh, I hope that we'll uh, live that out uh, this week in our homes and in our uh, as we go out and about. Uh, a couple quick announcements, a uh, reminder about uh, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, having our midweek service. Uh, we'll have uh, all the teens in here uh, and the adults and then the children will have their separate service. Um, and we're going to continue on with our series, Comfort in the Crisis. We'll be looking at one of the different Psalms and we'll be looking at Psalm 136 this coming Wednesday night, and I would invite you to read that as kind of a uh, spoiler alert uh, for uh, that message. And uh, I think you'll, I think it'll be a helpful message. Uh, next Sunday, we'll be having our fellowship fifth Sunday fellowship meal, so no evening service uh, next Sunday, uh, but we'll have a fellowship meal right after the morning service, and then a brief devotion uh, at the end of that. And then uh, we'll be done for the day and uh, enjoy that time with family and uh, enjoy some extra time of rest. Um, But we do that on the fifth Sunday, and uh, the teens will be serving this coming Sunday. I'm looking forward to that. Men and ladies Bible study, uh, we mentioned this morning that uh, we did not have the men's books. Well, they arrived today on our doorstep. Uh, When we got home from church, they were right there on our doorstep. So we have the men's books if you would like to participate in that and don't have a men's Bible study book. We're going through the book by Dr. Getch uh, Stand. It's about spiritual warfare. And then the ladies are going through a uh, book by Mrs. Terry Maxwell on Sweet Journey, something like that. Um, It's a Bible study for ladies. And uh, so uh, pick one of those books up if you do not have one. Uh, And if you do have one, men, please read chapter two. Ladies, please read chapter three. Uh, men are a little slower, but what else is new, right? <laughs> uh, just kidding. Okay. And I uh, just want to mention the one thing that's not on the announcements is uh, teen garage sale on September 18 and 19. Uh, that uh, All the proceeds there will help the youth group with camp and some of the uh, different things they would like to do. Um, so uh, just a reminder on that. Um, I think that's all the announcements I wanted to make. Uh, we'll have the children come. If there are any children that have a memory verse, to go ahead and quote that at this time. And I'm going to go ahead and, if you don't mind, Thank brother, sir. be the uh, the treat giver-outer. Okay. Why don't you guys kind of move down this way? There we go. Okay, perfect.
2: Uh, unto thee, O oh God do we give thanks. Psalm 75, 1.
1: Excellent. Good work.
2: For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord.
1: Amen. That's great.
2: So, Romans 6, 23.
1: There you
2: go. For all have sinned, came short sure of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23. Yes. John three seventeen, For all... God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans six, twenty-three.
1: Yes, sir. Good work.
2: Mark sixteen, fifteen. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature.
1: Amen. That's good. All those verses are awesome, and you all did a great job with them. Good job. Thank you, kids. All right, let's go ahead and stand one more time together. We're going to sing uh, page 185 in the hymnal, Jesus Paid It All.
0: Put together, now. Ah!
1: glad that he did that. He paid it all. He didn't just pay 99.9% of it. He paid it all. Uh, there's nothing we can do to uh, earn our salvation. He paid it all, and I'm so glad that he did. Well, uh, tonight we have the privilege of hearing from uh, Brother Jacob. Brother Jacob has been here since... When did you arrive this year? Was it... Uh, middle? Middle of March, yeah. So basically right after COVID kind of hit and uh, everybody was locking down, including the Bible college that he was attending. And so he uh, came here and we got a little bit extra time out of him uh, because of that. And I was very grateful for that. And he's been a tremendous blessing and uh, he loves the Lord. He loves this church uh, in a very, very strong way. And I appreciate that about him. And uh, so he's going to come at this time and uh, deliver God's word to us. So, Jacob, love you, man. Thank you. Thanks.
3: Well, hello. Um, oh, I've already started my mistake. But uh, you guys got spoiled last week. Uh, Blake made slides. I'm not that talented, so you're just going to have to bear with me. But uh, tonight I want to give a message, and Seth asked me for a title, and the title is The True Enemy. Um We live in a day of strife. There's open wickedness in our streets. I think we all know that. There's sexual abominations among our elite. There's murder and thievery in our streets today. People call wrong good and good wrong. But for all of this sin, the greatest shame I can think about today is the dysfunctionality of the local New Testament church. Um, We were commissioned with a purpose Yet yeah, we, really, we rarely focus on it. We see too much self-righteousness, idolatry, hatred of brethren, and other wickedness in our churches today. We have forgotten who we are really fighting. Tonight I want us to focus back on who the real enemy is. So if you could open your Bibles up to Ephesians 6:12 through 13, and when you get there, I'll pray. Thank you, Jesus, for a stay. Thank you for allowing us all to gather here and to listen to your word, Lord. I pray that you give me courage and strength, Lord. I pray that you give me the wisdom and the words to speak. Lord, I pray that you bind the strong men up today, Lord, and that you'd let your seeds be sown. I pray that you be with this church and you'd be with me, and in your name, amen. Ooh, I was not there, so my apologies. It says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. I want to break down this passage. Um, I want to break it down, first of all, who our enemy isn't our enemy is and what we are to do with that information first of all it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood um, I know today's things are a little bit contentious especially in our country um, I, I watched the news this week and I saw a video of a guy what seemed to be protecting a woman in the streets of one of our cities and he got his head kicked in for that um, You turn on the news every single day of the night, I guess for the past couple of months, and all we've seen is violence, fires burning, um, just uncontrollable wickedness that no one seems to want to stand up to. But I'm here to say that those people are not our real enemies. Um, Unsaved people, my first point, the common man, they're not our enemies. They're not the ones who we're truly fighting against. Um, don't ever expect a sinner. I said this in previous messages before. Don't ever expect a sinner to do save things. It's not in their nature. The Bible says in Romans 5, verse 12, that for, what, for by one man sin entered into the world. Uh, one of the children quoted it today. Um, there's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, all in Romans chapter 3. Um, sinners know nothing but sin. They know nothing but foolishness. They have not been enlightened by the Word of God. They need a Savior just as much as we needed one before we got saved. Um, That doesn't mean that their attacks aren't cruel. That doesn't mean the words they say to us as we work our jobs and stand for Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean they won't hurt. That doesn't mean they're not harmful. There are countless people in the Middle East that we have seen in the past few years kill Christians and burn churches. I'm Brother Randy. I know that you deal with unsaved people at your work. All of us do that work in the world. But though they may be hateful and vicious to us, they don't know any better. They're being puppeted by someone far more evil than them. And we're not there to attack them, we're not there to hurt them just as much as they hurt us. We're there to help them. I've written out a few, a few verses. To help us figure out what our attitude towards them should be, it says in Romans nine two through three that I it says in Paul speaking about the Jews that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul was not treated great by his Jewish brethren. Um, they hated him. They wanted to see him killed. They regularly sought to beat him. Um, they tried to get him, st- well, they did stone him, uh, and they were not kind to him. But what does he say here? He says he wished himself a curse. He wished that he could take their place and to go to hell for them. Now, I can assure you today that I would not wish my place in heaven for anyone else. Uh, I, I do wish to go to heaven for all eternity. But just think about the love that Paul is displaying right here, saying that he would rather take if he would take the place for eternal damnation just so all of the people who hate him could go to heaven and know Jesus Christ. What is your attitude towards man? Like I said, they can be mean. They can be cruel. But do we have that same kind of love for them? Jesus didn't consider the people that were putting, on, putting him on the cross enemies. He said what? Father, forgive them. Did he not? Yet, often I see Christians today and they say to themselves, I wish God would judge them. We have, I've been teaching Jonah to the kids. I see a lot of Christians with a Jonah attitude. Why won't you destroy them already? Why are you having grace on them? Well, let me say this to you. If God didn't have grace on you, you'd be in that exact same position, that exact same hate, that exact same despair that they're in today. They're not the enemy. They're not the ones we're supposed to be focusing on. The second person, that's not our enemy. And some of you guys are going to look at me and say, that's kind of weird is believers. You know, unsaved people can hurt you a lot, but believers, they just know how to twist the knife in sometimes. You know, they should know better, yet most of the time they're the ones who are cutting down more Christians than the, saved, the lost people. I once heard a person say, I, I loved working with my, the lost people because they were kind to me, but when I started working with Christians, they just hurt me. How sad is that? How sad is that 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 person would rather work with lost people than work with Christians? That's how hurtful Christians can be. Um, But they're not our enemies. They're fallible people. They make mistakes. Even though they have Christ, we still have sin. You know, I, I made a list just to take away the heaviness of the moment of some of the things that churches have fought over. And I got this from the Internet. One of them was... A church had an argument and a vote to decide if a clock in the worship center should be removed. I like my clock up there. Sorry, Pastor. Um, Okay. (laughs) One of of these churches had a fight over whether a picture of Jesus should be be put up in a foyer. Um, I don't know how they know what Jesus looks like, other than the descriptions in Revelation. But uh, they wanted a picture of Jesus in the foyer. One was a petition to have all the church staff clean and shaven. Also, that'd be an attack on you, pastor. Um, A dispute over whether the worship leader should have to have his shoes on during the service. Yes, please. Um, (laughs) A big church argument over the discovery that the church budget was off 10 cents. And they gave an update here. Someone finally gave a dime to settle the issue. Um... A dispute in the church because the Lord's Supper had cran grape juice instead of grape juice. That would be a big issue for me. Um, And just one more to do it. But uh, someone had a fight because uh, there was a major conflict when the youth borrowed a crock pot that that had not been used for years. So that was just a few examples to show that we fight over the silliest stupid things, and. What starts off as a silly little argument turns into deep divisions. That's how the demons and the devil would want it. They want us to be distracted, looking away from their activity, looking away from their evil, and fighting amongst ourselves. I bet you today, each and every one of you can think in your mind about a silly, stupid argument you've had with a believer that's led to some kind of deep hurt. And isn't that a sad thought? That we can hurt each other worse than most of the time lost people can. We're called to be loving. We're called to be like Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ would never do that. Jesus Christ was humble, and he preferred one another. So what I'm here to say is, yes, believers can be nasty. Yes, believers aren't always Christ-like, but they're not our true enemy. And they should never even be considered an enemy. My third person, and a lot of you guys will say this is kind of out of the blue, but is authority in general. Um, Satan is probably the biggest picture of rebellion against authority in the whole universe. He rebelled against God himself. None of us, I don't believe any of you guys have seen God in person before. If you have, then I have some questions. Um, None of you guys knows particularly what he looks like. I mean, we have some descriptions in the Bible. None of you guys have audibly heard his voice. If you have, again, some questions. But Satan did. Satan sat over God's throne and declared his glory. He was there to make or to declare God's glory, as I said. Um, and yet, he chose in the midst of God's holiness to rebel against him. And he would choose for us to rebel against authority to make. Authority, our enemy. Um, Let's think about some authorities we have in our lives. One comes to mind, the pastor. A man who's supposed to be upright, to walk with God, to serve God, to shepherd the flock, to oversee it. Yet, why is it that almost in every church there's someone who has something against the pastor? Pastors can make mistakes, can they not, pastor? Pastors are not perfect though they they try to be close with God, they try to lead the flock. But for some reason, there's always that one person, or maybe even some, many in the church, that think the pastor is the enemy. The pastor's not the enemy. The pastor's supposed to be our friend. The pastor's supposed to be our leader. And we have to regard the pastor as a piece of authority that God gave us specifically. They are the under-shepherd. And... I don't know what it is, but Blake was telling me a story. He was, uh, he was talking about a movie he heard about where there was a pastor. It was some kind of Disney movie, and you know it's going to go off the rails after I said that. But uh, there was a Disney movie about uh, a kid, and his dad was a pastor, and all he wanted to do was rap. And at the end of the movie, instead of having the kid listen to their parents, what happened? The pastor had to apologize to his son for not allowing him to rap. And that was the story of the Disney movie, inside the Disney movie. Um, isn't that shameful that our society, the devil, he wants us to think that the pastor's our enemy, and oftentimes a lot of church members start to believe it? I get it. The pastor says stuff we don't like to hear, but he's usually saying it from the Word of God, so that's God's saying it. When God says to dress modestly and the pastor says it, don't get mad at the pastor. And also, I I would advise you not to get mad at God. When the pastor says the tithe, I know we all like money. I like to buy cheeseburgers. It's one of my favorite activities. But but I'll tell you this. God commanded tithing, and pastor's just trying to tell us to listen. Pastor wants our benefit. And I'll tell you, it would benefit you to listen to God. Um, Sometimes the pastor tells us a lot of things we don't like to hear, but that doesn't mean he's our enemy. He's our friend. He's looking out for us. He's trying to lead us. And though it might be something we don't want to hear, that doesn't make him an enemy. This one you guys are really not going to like. Parents are not the enemy. Oh, no amens from this side. Well, wow. yeah, there we go. What is uh what is uh, Ephesians 6 1 say, Mom? Children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The bane of my existence. Every time I walk into the house, it's like that verses ringing off the walls, but uh, I'll tell you this. They were an authority given into your life and you are to obey them. They were given by God. They say stuff that I don't like to hear all the time. They tell me, hey, maybe you shouldn't get that third helping, but I want it. They say, hey, maybe you shouldn't go out to that event. Maybe they say, hey, those clothes are a little too short. Or hey, maybe that TV show is not the best for you. Maybe that friend doesn't have your best interests in mind. But we're to listen to them. They're not our enemy. The devil would have you think that. First of all, your parents are a gift to you. God made God gave them specifically to you and you specifically to them. And um, God would have you listen to them. Uh, there's a certain promise that comes after obeying your, children, or obeying your parents, and that's a long life. And I think that all your parents would rather see you live a long time. So... First of all, the pastor's not the enemy, and our parents aren't the enemy. And thirdly, and this is really going to maybe get some booze in a Baptist crowd, but at the heart of it, government is not our enemy. Government does a lot of wicked things. Government doesn't always have Christ's interests in mind. They rarely do, but they are an institution that was given by God. In Genesis chapter 9, 5, and 6, God instituted a human government to make sure that justice was served, specifically in the instance of capital punishment. Though they, they have things that we don't want to do, and the big thing would be the mask. Um, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says that wearing mask is against God's law. Do you, Pastor? No, I, I don't specifically see that. When government says wear a mask, If it doesn't go against God's law, we're to obey it. The moment it goes against God's law, I'll be ready to fight it. But before that instance, God gave us our government, and we're to obey it. They are not our enemy. And something you might notice here is all those three things I mentioned were institutions given by God. Parents, the family was an institution God made. The church, the pastor, was an institution given by God, and so was government. And Satan would have that be twisted up in our minds to think that they are our enemy so that we're not focusing on him. So my first point is that our quarrel is not with those that God gave us, but against those who are against God. My second point is evil. Um, And You say, what do you mean by Evil. I'm ready to talk about it. I have a story that I did a lot of research on, and I'd like to tell you. It's about Antipas of Pergamos. I don't know if many of you have heard of that. Um, Antipas is mentioned in Revelation 2:13. There's not a lot of information given about him. It calls him, uh, it gives him a title. Pastor, you know what the title was? The faithful martyr. So, just based on that information already, that tells me that he was killed in some way, shape, or form for the cause of Christ. That usually doesn't bring good memories for Christians, having throughout our history being burned at the stake, drowned, and all kinds of things. But he was killed, and I I decided to dig a little deeper and to see why he was killed. Church legend, as I have to call it that because there was no one there that recorded it. At, there were some recordings, but they weren't in the Bible, so I can't take them as 100% accurate. But they said that... Per, or, um, Antipas was the pastor at Pergamus, and there was a there was three temples there. There was the temple of Athena, the temple of Zeus, and the temple to the Roman emperor, who they considered to be God at the time, in flesh. Antipas was a faithful pastor. He he uh, he pastored his church. He preached, and he was a little bit too effective. They had this temple there, which was a. Uh, hospital slash bath called the Asclepian. And there was these famous words on it that said, death is not permitted here. And I, th- I thought to myself reading that, that's kind of odd because mortal men don't have power over death or life. But the, the history goes saying there that it was a temple and they would heal people. And if you had any symptom of you were about to die, they would not let you in. That makes me think they weren't that great of a hospital. I wouldn't want to go there. But uh, they, if you showed any symptom of being about to die, they would not let you in. But if they knew that you would live, they'd bring you in, and they'd put you in these dormitories. And the crazy thing about these dormitories were there were snakes all around the floor. They were non venomous snakes. And um, you would sleep on the bed, and throughout the night, these snakes would crawl over you, and they'd whisper in your ear. That does not give me good images already. That's kind of creepy. But this is the Romans were pagans. You have to remember that. And they said that the snakes would whisper into the ear of the patients there what the problem was with their body. And the next morning, the patients would write everything down and draw everything out and give it to the priest of the temple. And they would perform surgeries there. They would do all kinds of therapy there. But what I didn't tell you was it was powered by demonic authorities. Um, that's what was really powering it through the guise of Greek and Roman gods. And Asclepian temple comes from Asclepios, the goddess of snakes. And what you don't know is that where the Greeks got that from was from the statue of the snake in the wilderness that the Israelites looked to when they were posing. Really, the thing is Satan steals everything. He can't come up with anything on his own. He's not very creative, not creative at all. And... What happened was that this temple, this hospital, it all of a sudden stopped working. And the priests couldn't figure out why. And eventually, the priests started having dreams where they write down in their own historic language. And you can look through the records if you look this up online. They were writing down that demons were visiting them in their sleep, saying that this Antipas guy is casting out demons. He's praying too much, and they're not allowed to perform their work within this certain city. So they said to them, you either get rid of this Antipas guy or we're going to stop helping heal these people. So the Roman authorities gathered Antipas up and they said, you either bow down to the Roman emperor or, you know, his, the deified Roman emperor or you go into the brazen bull. And he said, no, I'm going to stand and I'm going to worship Jesus Christ. So they got this hollowed out brazen bull. They threw him in there. They closed the door, and they lit the belly on fire, and they slowly cooked him to death. And um, as he screamed, they had musical instruments inside with holes in the horns that made steam come out and it kind of make the bowl come to life. And that's kind of what happened to Antipas. And throughout this story, I could kind of see my message playing out. Um, whenever we hear a story like that, we would think, wow, those Roman, those Roman guys... Those priests, they're the bad guys in the story, right? No, it was really the demonic powers. It was the demonic powers working through the people to get their will done. And Pergamus paid for his life for serving Christ. Hopefully none of us have to do the same, but we should all be willing. My first point in this, this, I guess my sub point for this point is that principalities is the first enemy labeled here. what are principalities? Well, if you're not a, I guess a Bible scholar, which I'm in no way, shape, or form, but if you're not a Bible scholar, when you're reading Ephesians 6:12 through 13, you kind of, kind of, got to define your words. You got to look them up. And when I looked up principalities, and I when I was reading my Bible dictionaries and my commentaries, the best thing that come up was a demonic hierarchy. Um, just as God has ranks in his angel file, so does Satan. Like I said, he tries to imitate God. God has certain archangels. He has seraphims and cherubims. And Satan tries to do the same thing. And these demonic hierarchy, they kind of, in a sense, rule the world. They are the rulers of the world as it is right now. And to prove that point, I guess you could read uh, Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, and it says um, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in twenty days, but lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. And if you don't study this passage out enough, you think, wow, the prince of Persia is a really strong guy if he's withstanding an angel. But no, that was a demon who was given power over the province of Persia. Satan has his hierarchy over different provinces in this world. Um, And he would use that to uh, attack the church, to attack anything that resembles Christ's will. Uh, How many times do we see demonic influences in places like Iran, in places like China, where they sterilized half the women there, and they had a one-child policy, and if you had more than one child, they would kill the baby. That has signs of Satan all over it. And Iran, if you're a Christian, they'll kill you. And Syria, they gas their own people. Satan's out there to destroy and kill mankind wherever he can get it. He wants to bring as many people to hell with him as he can. And he'll do that, first of all, through his principalities, through his demon hierarchy. The second way, the second enemy we have to face is powers. And once I was reading powers, I didn't understand how that can be an enemy against us. But the first definition I came across was demonic power. Um, we know demonic power exists out there. Once you're reading Exodus, you learn Jan- Janus and Jambres. They threw their staffs down with Moses. Their staffs turned the snakes. So did Moses. And Moses is eight their staffs. Um, we see demonic power when Saul went to go to the soothsayer and she channeled the spirit of Eli from heaven because God led her. You have to remember that. God gives the demons this kind of power. But the second definition was a little bit more um, disturbi- disturbing to me. The second definition of powers was liberty or choice. Um, Sure, this demonic power can be scary, but just think about how scary liberty and choice really is. We have the liberty in America to go get an abortion. Abortions kill millions of people from the start in 1960 all the way to today. Millions of babies. There's the choice that you can marry a same-sex person today. Um, just think about the Internet, how many abilities you have that go to wickedness from that. Satan has thrown out so many of these so-called liberties to us, and we're not to be entangled with them. We're not to fall for them. They're our enemies. Sin is our enemy. Um, It says in Galatians 5.1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. We were saved from that kind of wickedness. We were saved from that kind of sin. We know that abortion is child murder. We know that same-sex marriage is abomination. We know that on the Internet, while it can be used as a tool, it is not a place that's too friendly to Christians. It's not. And we need to stand fast against it. I'll tell you what this world is really about. It says in Romans one 29 through 29-32, being filled with unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, ad, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affections, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God and they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same but have pleasure in them that do them. This world will never offer you a choice that gets you closer to God. It never will. The only, the only thing that will get you the closer to God is God's Word. And I have a Bible. I have my iPad. so I can't bring that up as a visual. But the devil, his mission is to make it seem like we have these liberties, that it's okay to commit sin, but it's not. So our first enemy is the hierarchy of demons. The second enemy is the liberty and choice that he tries to provide that is uh, what he thinks is good. He told Eve it was okay to eat of the fruit, did he not? He told, he told Eve, he said, take a bye and you'll be like God. He tricked her into thinking she had the liberty to do so and it only brought forth death. So be wary of those powers, those liberties, those choices. The third enemy, and this one's a little on the nose, is the ruler of darkness himself, the devil. Um, It says in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 14, and no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Why would he have to transform himself into something of light if not he was from darkness? Um, Satan, he was the most beautiful creation I think God had ever made. I think it says so in the Bible. He was there to proclaim the glory of God on God's throne himself. Yet he defiled himself. Yet he chose to rebel against God and now he's on a path of destruction and wickedness. And he does so. He's the one ruling this world, trying to bring as many people down with him. And he does so many times through false religion. I can't think of a more hateful religion than Islam. Um, they tell their believers that they can get to heaven through murder. And that's bizarre to me because I come from the knowledge of knowing that God is love, but they preach a God of hate. And Truly, it's because they do worship a god of hate, the devil. Um, it's not hard to see where it's traced back to where Muhammad's in a cave and he's talking to an angelic being. I can tell you the devil was an angel, but uh, he's, he's, not, uh, he's not serving God with his kind of power. Uh, you think of Islam, you think of Hinduism, where they believe in just there's a god for everything. Uh, you think of one of the biggest religions in the world today, atheism. And I don't see how any atheist can be happy because they have no hope of this, of this world. They have, they have only despair. Um, they don't have anything to look forward to in the future. Uh, there's all kinds of mini-cults like Scientology, Mormonism. Satan tries to rule with this kind of false religions, this kind of false hope, but we know the truth. It says in 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walking about, seeking who he may devour. And this is the truth. The devil will use anything that he has at his disposal to destroy you. Um, especially, It's especially true in the church. If he sees someone starting to get bitter at the pastor, he's going to exploit it. If he sees an altercation in the church, he's going to exploit it. If he sees a sinful member... Of the church who's in a prominent position, he's going to exploit it. Satan is going to exploit anything he can do to hurt the cause of Christ. How many times have you heard the stories of faithful independent pastors getting struck with sexual allegations? It happens sadly all the time in our country. You don't think that Satan uses those stories to hurt God's name? He does. And I'll tell you this, you better watch out. You better protect yourself because the moment Satan can find something on you that destroy your testimony and destroy your life, he will. So that's our third enemy. And the fourth enemy is spiritual wickedness in high places. And what you, what you say, what does that mean? And that's basically talking about just demons in general. Um, the Bible says that Satan took a third of the stars with him, a third of the angels. Who can? Who here can tell me how many angels God created? Yeah, none of you, because it's not listed in the Bible. That just makes me think that there's a lot, right? There's probably a lot of them. The Bible specifically says in Matthew eight sixteen, talking about Jesus, when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all of them were sick. The Bible doesn't say a few of them came. The Bible doesn't say it was just one. He says many. Um, I just, I can't tell you how many times you read through the Gospels and you see a story about a possessed person. It happens quite a bit, right? And nowadays, when you talk about this kind of spiritual darkness, you're talking about demons or the devil. In our society, people look at you like you're crazy. Don't ever be ashamed to believe what the Bible says because they're out there. Right now in this society today, in American society, they do a better job making people believe they don't exist than they do in other countries where you can see shaman and other witch doctors that people know exist. I I can tell you, you could probably go to an African country and they can tell you demons exist. They might not be prominent in American society out in the open, but they're out there and they're out there trying to hurt us. They really are. Um, You know, they're still working. I'm just going to say this. I think you'd be crazy as saved church members to not think that satan has operatives here and more. You don't think that there's some kind of demonic activity and more. I think you're crazy. Because I would say that Moore has an apt amount of Christians. I see all of you in this room today. He would want to destroy that. There's other churches and more that I believe have saved baptized members of the church. He would try to affect this area. There's demons everywhere and they're still working and I don't bring this out because I don't usually trust the Catholic Church. They're not my favorite people. And I I don't say that shamelessly. I, I do say it shamelessly. They're not my favorite people. But the Catholic Church has a report out there that they say that demonic possession in Europe is on the rise. And they're starting to show themselves a little bit more. You look at Hollywood today. What is every movie about now? Some possessed doll, some demon, something. I can tell you this, you kids today, and I'm a kid, I don't know why I said that, but uh, <laughs> what's the number one show on Netflix? I hope none of you guys know this. Thank you for not knowing this. The number one show on Netflix today is a show called Lucifer, where they try to make the devil, and they tried to bring him into a good light. Can you believe that? That Hollywood is trying to glorify the embodiment of evil? I mean, it's not hard to believe, but that's how far our world has gone. That they have taken over the media, they try to glorify themselves, and now the world's just actively going with it. So, just to rehash what I've gone over, so or what I've already gone over, went over, is that man's not our enemy, but principalities are. But the liberty, the liberty and the choice that the world gives us is that Satan is our enemy, and that his demons are. So you say, what do I do with this information? Well, in the very next verse, there's a command. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. We're to put on the armor of God. Hey, these enemies I just listed out for you are not weaklings. They're not a a one-punch KO. These guys are powerful. They're strong. And it takes something equally stronger or or something stronger to be able to stand against them. First, we have to have the belt of truth. We have to have the Bible. We have to have the knowledge to know that these things exist and how to defeat them. We have to have the breastplate of righteousness. I, I was able to preach this message to my grandfather a week earlier, and I said to my dad, how would it look if you told your workers that worked under you not to drink, but they saw you in a bar like a day later? If you weren't wearing the breastplate of righteousness that put you above reproach, that wouldn't help you stand in this evil day. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. You need to have the breastplate of righteousness on so that you're above reproach. We need to have the um, shield of faith. Um, there's a lot of things that can rock our faith today. But is not God stronger than that? There's been people that have went through a lot worse than we have in America yet they still have their faith in God, and we need to use our faith to protect us against this evil day. We need to have the helmet of salvation. I I asked my dad, uh, similarly in that message, I asked my dad, what's probably the thing you want to protect the most in a battle? And he said, like, your internal organs. I said, no, it's your head. I guess he wasn't uh, listening to me. But uh, (laughs) you want to protect your head. And what better to protect the entirety of you than salvation, am I right? I mean, salvation, boom, you're in God's family. Boom, you're under the protection of God. Boom, you have the Holy Spirit within you. I mean, I, can't, I don't know why people don't, don't ask, what must I do to be saved more often? Because the amenities included in that package are too great to let it go to the waste. Am I right? Next thing is the sword of the Spirit. And you'll notice within the armor of God, this is the only offensive that we're given. And that's the only offensive we need. In Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is walking through the wilderness, Jesus did not take an iron rod and beat the devil to death. He could have. I think it would have been funny if he wrote that in the Bible, but he didn't. Jesus did not kick the devil. He didn't punch the devil. He didn't take out a Glock and shoot him. He used the word of Scripture and drove the devil away. And that's what God gave us to fight him today as well. If it was good enough for Jesus, is it not good enough for us? This is God's word. It says in 2 Timothy 16 and 17 that the scripture was inspired by God himself. It has power. When God said, I am, in the garden, what happened to the people? They fell back. It says when Jesus returns in Revelation 19 that a sword comes out of his mouth. What do you think that's referring to? His words. Jesus' words, God's words are powerful. And while Satan and his lackeys might be strong, God's word is even stronger. So that's something that we need to use. We need to have in our tool boat, in our hands, to be able to stand in this evil day. Now, that's the how to stand. We need to know the why to stand. And to be honest, I don't even know why I'm pointing this out, because, it's, but it's pretty obvious. The Bible says, in this evil day. Um, and I'll explain what this evil day is. It says in Second Timothy 3, 1-5, through this know also, that in the last days perilous time shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to the parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affections, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, head, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. If you don't think we're living in those days, I think that you're not paying attention. We live in some evil days. I went through in my opening statements what's happening in our streets today. We live in an evil day, and that's why we need to put on the armor of God. And uh, I'll just go through some more of why. We have abortion on demand today. Uh, I was telling this, I think it was in the Sunday school class. But in some states, you can give birth to a baby and you're legally allowed to kill it within 15 minutes. That that was considered murder, what, just a year ago? But now they're trying to legalize that? Here's one that, for some reason, not a lot of people are aware of. Um, the LGBT movement is trying to legalize pedophilia right now. They're trying to normalize First they have to normalize it, then they'll legalize it. Drugs are so common, it's... Hard to believe how many people are taking them. Drugs are witchcraft, it says in the Bible. And I can, I can tell you, in high school, I was offered drugs numerous times. That's how available they are to our youth. Parents, I say, please watch out for it. But in this evil day, people are all on drugs. We live in an evil day, and that's why we need to put on the armor of God. But this is the last point, and it's the stand. Um, one of my examples, the stand in this evil day, and you guys are, I hope I get an amen out of this, is our Vice President Mike Pence. He's a, he's a professed Christian. He says that he uh, asked God to forgive him of his sins. I believe he's saved. But here's, I, when I, I remember in 2016, when President Trump announced him as his running mate, I read an article on him, and this article was bashing him for a few things. The few things it bashed him for was, he was fighting against abortion. Well, wow, that's, a, that's a good checklist on my list. He was fighting against same-sex marriage because they were opposing Christian freedom and Christian liberty. That's a checklist on my list. Um, he was for Israel. And I'll tell you right now, the rest of the world would rather see Israel burn. And the Bible says that those who bless Israel will be blessed. So I want to be in the category that's blessing Israel, not the one trying to destroy them. And that's what President, or Vice President Mike Pence said he was for. And then Mike Pence fought a lawsuit for religious freedom. And he's against the Catholic Church. Woo Woo-woo. So uh, he chose to stand all that scrutiny just so he could serve our public. And he chose to stand for God. He says this, I'm a Christian first. And that's what we should all describe ourselves as if we are a conservative and then a Republican. The, the thing that matters to me most is that he describes himself as a Christian. That means that his first and formal representation is a child of God, and he's representing God first. And that's how we should be. He's willing to stand against those people that would mock him. He has, uh, he has a certain rule where he won't be in a room alone with a, another woman unless his wife is there. I applaud him on that. He's wearing the, ble- the breastplate of righteousness, so he's above reproach. Um, you see him quote scripture. He has the sword of the Spirit. You see his faith. He has the shield. The helmet of salvation, he's a professed believer. We have a vice president. We have someone in our leadership who chooses to wear the armor of God so that he can stand against the evil in this day. And I say this to all of you. I think we should follow that example because as I explained to you, our enemy is great. Our enemy is trying to distract us on who they really are. They're trying to tell us to fight the people that first of all, we should be concerned about the people that we should love and the people that are over us. So, in conclusion, we, not, we must not fight between the lost and our Christian brethren, but we must wage war on our true enemy, Satan and his demons and sin. The Bible says in Matthew 16:18, and this is just half the verse, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not, not prevail against it. I'll tell you this right now. It says in Revelation, and it's one of my favorite books of the Bible because it describes our victory, that Satan and his lackeys will be thrown in the lake of fire forever. And that we'll stand with Jesus Christ and rule with him. I'm looking forward to that day. But I have something to tell you guys. We're not in that day. We're not at the future yet. We're in this day. We're in this evil day. And that's why we have to stand. Yes, we'll have victory down the road, but God has given us a mission um, I think it was Jackson who quoted Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and tell every creature. So that's what we're to do, and we're going to face opposition because the devil doesn't want God's mission to be taken. So we must fight with the armor of God. We must stand in this evil day as God commanded. So heed this warning and remember who our true enemy is. Pastor.
1: Let's have prayer together. Lord, we thank you for this message. We thank you for the messenger. Um, But Lord, we thank you most of all for the truth of what we heard tonight. Lord, help us to remember who our real enemy is and that he is after us as a uh, lion uh, seeking about whom he may devour. Lord, he wants to devour each and every one of us. And Lord, help us to be willing to stand. Help us to put on the whole armor of God. Uh, help us, Lord, to be found faithful. And help us, Lord, to keep our uh, minds and, and hearts focused on who the real enemy is, to not get sidetracked on that, to not get distracted to somebody else. Lord, I ask that uh, you would help us to take heed and live this message out as we go our way tonight. Lord, I thank you for who you are and the uh, the fact that greater is He that is in us than He that is in this world. And Lord, we um, those of us who are saved have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and and He is more powerful than any uh, demonic activity outside. And we're grateful for that truth. But again, Lord, help us to stand, to be found faithful in this evil day, and to get the truth out. Uh, to our uh, world that is lost and in need of salvation. I pray, Lord, you would uh, bless us as we go our way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Brother Jacob. Uh, we're going to hang out for just a couple more minutes. There's a few more things I want to do. I do want to ask Jacob to come, up, go ahead and come back up here. I um, want to thank him for uh, this summer and spring of ministry, and uh, he's been a tremendous blessing. And so... Uh, we've kind of tried to take care of him a little bit financially throughout the weeks but uh, we also wanted to give him uh, a lump sum at the end to help pay for college and then also through our missions uh, committee we have a scholarship set up through our missions fund and so both of those are found in this envelope and uh, we just want to thank you for all your work thank you for the message Let's thank him for all the ministry he's given over the last uh, few days or a few weeks. Thank you, so, thank you very much, Brother Jacob. you go ahead and be seated. And then uh, I do want to ask a couple more people to go ahead and come on up. They didn't know I was going to do this, and I hope they're not going to get too mad at me, but it's a good thing, I promise. Uh, Brother Mrs. David and Miss Nikki and also Kenzie, if you can go ahead and come on up to the platform as well. I uh, wanted to... We wanted to do this a few weeks ago, but uh, weren't able to with all the uh, the COVID situation. That's like the ultimate 2020 excuse, right? Just blame it on COVID. And so that's what I'm doing. But uh, I did want to invite these uh, precious people up to the platform. So about three years ago, our church had a full-time youth pastor. And uh, the Lord had uh, directed in their lives to head to another church in Pennsylvania. Well, we were without a youth director. We were out without someone to really minister to the teenagers here at Cornerstone. And this couple stepped up and said, I'll be that one. I don't know if you really knew what you were getting into when you volunteered, but kind of, sort of. But uh, they have been a tremendous blessing to step in. Uh, they have in many ways stood in the gap. Uh, until the Lord brought another youth pastor our way. And uh, they have been found faithful. They have sacrificed in so many ways, ways that some of us know of, and a lot that we'll never know of, this side of heaven. And uh, thank you very much. I do want to mention, uh, I do want to read a verse here, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. Uh, We might forget all the things that you did. Uh, we may not be able to uh, list all the things that you did for the teenagers and all the time you took off for work and uh, all the effort that you gave and all the texting and all the, uh, the advice that you have given to the teens, um, but the Lord has taken accurate, meticulous notes on everything that you all did uh, for the youth group and for the Lord here at Cornerstone. God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. And I do, um, after going to camp with, with, with them last year, I had the privilege of doing that. Um, I knew they loved the teenagers, but I could definitely tell it wasn't a labor of, hey, we're just doing this because we have nothing better to do. Uh, we knew, and I knew that it was a labor of love. And uh, so um, God's not unrighteous to forget that, that your labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. the end of that verse says, know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so all that the Lord allowed you to do is not in vain, and He has kept meticulous records of all of it. And uh, we just want to say thank you from our church family to you. Thank you for your sacrifice, for your ministry, uh, for all the late nights, the time off work, using your vacation time, thank you very much. And so we have just a little something. It's, it's just a little something. So one for you, Miss Kinsey, and one for both of you. And uh, let's thank them for their ministry as well. Thank you very much. Do you want to say anything? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> All right. I wanted to give them an opportunity to give a speech, but uh, their lives are speech enough. And uh, thank you to all three of these who have given so much uh, for the youth group uh, as we've waited and prayed for a youth pastor, and now the Lord has provided them. And i uh, so appreciative of what this family has meant to our youth group over these last several years. So thank you again to all of you. We're going to sing one more song, and then we're going to get into a very, very brief Uh, business meeting. And so um, we're going to sing page 216 in the hymnal, or again, the words will be on the screen when we see Christ. You can go ahead and remain seated. And uh, then right after that, we'll get into our business meeting.